Isn't it wonderful to hear a 13-year-old sing to the some of the greatest days of our church and what lies ahead. Now, I will encourage you also, this is the time you should be praying for these young people. Uh, this week and the following week, our youth camp. Uh, middle school camp is, starts tomorrow, and then high school camp starts the following Monday. We should be praying for them, and God will do incredible things to them. I remember as a teenager, probably the highlight of my year was what happened at camp. And I admit, I was... I was just a dumb teen. I was just there because there were going to be girls there and there were going to be games and those kinds of things. But I'll tell you, those are the times when God would often reach into my heart. And he did some things that helped shape who I am today. So please, be in prayer for these teenagers. I don't care why they're going to camp. I'm just glad that they're going because it's going to provide an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. So please, be in prayer for them. has nothing to do with my message this morning. Just to let you know. So that was an extra, and you didn't have to pay extra for it. So fame, success, and popularity. Something that our entire world longs for, but I will tell you that it is not all that it is cracked up to be. Several years ago, I had the unique privilege of performing a wedding for a nationally televised program called Whose Wedding Is It Anyways? Uh, most of you have probably never watched it. I think it was on the Lifetime Network. It really didn't matter if any of you saw it. I was excited because I had the opportunity to be a part of it. And of course, there was a sense of excitement. I'll tell you that the Hollywood aspect of it certainly took away from the wedding experience for that family. I can remember as the bridesmaids were walking down the aisle and the cameraman standing in the middle of the aisle, unwilling to move. And she had to stop, walk around, the cameraman to be able to get back up toward the front. I can remember the entire time the wedding was going on, I had this camera that was stuck right here behind my ear, and, and I, it was almost as if they were just looking at me. Well, you know what? I was really excited when it came time to watch the show. It was about two months later, it was going to be broadcast, so I got in touch with everybody I knew to get in touch with because I wanted them to see me on TV. Now, I know it wasn't my wedding, but there's a little bit of, uh, you want that fame and successful. I remember here when I was growing up that everybody gets about 15 minutes of fame in their life. Well, I want you to know, I still have 14 minutes and 57 seconds left. <laughs> about the only thing you could see of me for the entire time was just a piece of that left ear. It wasn't a whole lot there. It was a great experience, but I gotta tell you, fame, success, popularity, all those things, it's not what it's cracked up to be. And it doesn't really provide us all the things that maybe we set out to achieve. I had Kandara read a passage to you earlier that we used last Sunday, and in that passage, we see three groups of people. You have those who are hot, those who are, are on fire for God, if you remember last week, I had three chairs set up here for you. And of course, the one was for the hot one. That's the one who, they are in a committed relationship. 
relationship with God. They are where they need to be. They are in a love relationship to where nothing else matters. There's no room for any type of compromise because they are all about their commitment to God. Then, of course, there's a lukewarm chair that I'm not going to even talk about today, really because of the fact that that's next week's sermon. I'll just touch on briefly. This lukewarm chair is not really the seat you want to be in either. But it, it, it is such a negative place that God says, it disgusts me. Makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. There's something wrong with my mic there. It disgusts me. It makes me want to spit you or spew you or vomit you up out of my mouth. It's not the place to be. And the third chair represented those who are cold in their faith. And if I could have found a good cold chair, you would have had the three chairs up here again. i got a chair already set up for you guys for next week, so I'm going to have fun with that one. But I want you to realize today that the cold chair is the one that... Unfortunately, we assume nobody has in the church. But there are many in the church who are very cold in their walk with Christ. Maybe it's not even just their walk with Christ. I told you that the first chair was one who was committed. The second chair, uh, uh, the lukewarm chair, would be the chair of compromise. This is the chair of conflict, being conflict with God. They may be aware of God. They may not be aware of God. The point is, they do not have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Somebody asked me last week if perhaps I could identify where individuals are on that timeline. If an individual is not in that hot chair, can I tell that they're in that lukewarm chair, that they're in that cold chair? And I'm going to tell you, I don't even care which one they're in. If they're not in the hot chair, they're not where they need to be. We are either in a right relationship with Jesus Christ or we're not. And whether you're in that lukewarm chair or you're in that cold chair, you still are not what God desires for you. God desires for you to experience incredible things through Him. Before I get too deep into this image of a cold Christian today, I do want to remind you of what I shared last week. Jesus prefers that we be cold as opposed to lukewarm. Why do I point that out to you? Don't misunderstand this message as me telling you about how evil and how ugly our world is. There is an element of ugliness within our world. As sin dominates the society in which we live, there is plenty of ugliness to go around. But today is not as much about us judging those around us, but us realizing that whether you're in the hot or in the cold chair, the lukewarm chair, it doesn't matter. You shouldn't be looking in judgment upon anybody because we all should be moving to that chair of intimacy with God. We are here today to understand the world in which we live and then to understand how we can reach into their lives. The first thing that we need to understand as we look at the cold seat is that everyone has something that drives them. For every person in this room, before you became a Christian, there was something that drove you. Hopefully it's not the same thing that drives you today, but all of us have something that drives us. Let me show this to you from a biblical story that Jesus told. It's one that's probably familiar to most of you. It's called the story of the prodigal son. And it's found in Luke chapter 15. And I just want to look at verses 11 to 13 right now. It says this. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. 
The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, the passage goes on to tell a great story of, first of all, foolishness, which eventually will lead to brokenness, which eventually will lead to restoration, as the father will eventually welcome his son back home. But I want you to catch what drove this young man to walk the road that he would walk. His words to his father reveal what's really in his heart. He says, Father, give me my share. The driving factor for this man is clearly selfishness. And that selfishness shows up in multiple ways. First, there is the greed factor that comes through. Father, give me what's coming to me. Now, had this young man been patient, the time would have come that he would have received all that he was awaiting. The fact was, the father demonstrates his willingness to give everything of himself. Says that he divides all of his property in two and gives half of it to one son, and he holds on to the other half, and he will give it to the other son. The point is, the father was willing to give very generously to his son. The impatience and the greed get the best of this young man. And he says, I want these things now. Selfishness shows up in other ways, not just in our greed. Verse 13 tells us that a short time later, he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, I find the phrase wild living almost humorous because it covers so many different things. It's so vague and it can cover a whole lot of things and I think we could probably understand every one of them. You almost picture this rich, immature college kid who suddenly finds himself with no restrictions. There's no parent there to tell him no. So the potential for mischief seems unlimited. This kid doesn't just attend a party every weekend, he throws a party every weekend. He becomes the life of the party. And there's all kinds of things around this guy. And it's, I don't know it's all just kind of picturing what it would have been like I picture alcohol and whatever else it is that they had at that point in time. And then, of course, there are the women. That's a part of the wild living. We don't know for sure how long this young man would stay away from his father, but it's likely that there was time for him to create a train wreck with his love life. You figure there were probably prostitutes or at least wild women who were willing to do whatever it took to get their fingers on this guy's wealth. Many think of the women who falsely assumed that he would be their knight in shining armor, only to find out later that he was more interested in satisfying his own needs than satisfying her needs. Certainly, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, all would have fit with the selfishness that drove this man. No doubt that violence and deceit also would have come into play. Wild living isn't hard for us to comprehend because all you got to do is turn on the TV and you know exactly what wild living looks like. It's the world we live in today. Let me suggest another aspect of cold chair living. As we see in this man's life, in his case, 
It is self-imposed. But that doesn't make it any less real. Often at the root of cold chair living, we find brokenness. It's not necessarily selfishness, but brokenness. For many, it's because they've been hurt by someone else. Someone has mistreated the individual. Life hasn't been fair. And when such situations arise, people have two choices. They can be defeated by their pain, and unfortunately, often that happens. Or they can overcome it through Jesus Christ. I will tell you on the front end here this morning that all of us will go through times of brokenness. This man is not unique. He simply brought his upon him. He brought the, well, we'll talk about some of the brokenness in just a moment. He brought the things on him because of his own choices. Many of you can already attest to the fact that bad things happen to really good people. Even when you do everything right and you honor God and you choose to live in a way that really would bring goodness upon his name, bad things still happen. Years ago, there was a book that was written that simply said, why do bad things happen to God's people? And I don't even know the answer except to say that we live in a fallen world where bad things are going to happen. But when those things happen, we still have a choice that we must make. Either we will be defeated by them or we will rise up and we will be able to honor God through them. Scripture tells us that all things work together for the good of God and those who are called according to His purpose. And that means even in those times of brokenness and hardship, God can turn those things into good. In today's story, this young man's brokenness shows up primarily in his isolation. It's hard to imagine isolation when it uh, seems that he's got all these people that are around him. But isolation is obvious when you begin to realize that he is completely separated from his father. We live in a society that is very much isolated from their fathers. Many dads are present, others are physically present, but they're not involved in the lives of their children. The result is that many children are forced to grow up without that voice of wisdom and reason. I know Father's Day is next week, but let me suggest that we cannot ignore the isolation that this young man put himself in. Up until this point, he's had a father who could say to him, you know what, son, that doesn't make sense. If you make that choice, you're going to regret it. Now he finds himself completely separated from it, and there's nobody to say no. And he realizes, eventually, that it will lead to destruction. A couple of years ago, I was providing counsel to a young man, and he made this statement. He said, I know that I am responsible for the choices that I make. But I wonder if things would have been different had my father been around to help guide me and to tell me no. A spiritual application for this comes from John chapter 3, verse 19 to 21. It says this, This is the verdict, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. Because their deeds were evil, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. 
In other words, when you are living in darkness or you're living in sin, often the last place you want to be is in the light or in the presence of God. So what do we do? We avoid church, we avoid family or other friends who might hold us accountable. We isolate ourselves when the best thing for us to do is to actually surround ourselves with others who can help us make wise choices. In understanding the cold chair individual, there is one other possibility as seen in our passage. Certainly selfishness was the root of his problem, and there was a sense of brokenness that obviously would come into play, but there is also what I'm going to call an ignorance factor. And when I say ignorant, it's not an insult at all. It would seem in our story that the young man really thought that he would find satisfaction in all of these other things. He foolishly believed that if I have all this money, if I can do all of these things, if I can have all of these people with me, then I'll be satisfied, then I'll be happy. But the truth is, all of these things would leave him empty and incomplete. You know, King Solomon was a man of great wisdom, but even he sought to satisfy himself with things that he determined to be meaningless. In fact, over and over again, in Ecclesiastes chapters 1 and 2, he continually says, meaningless, meaningless. All these things, they're meaningless. He said in Ecclesiastes 2.26, to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He didn't find satisfaction in his knowledge. He didn't find it in his folly or in his wine. He didn't even find it in his work. He said it gets old. You work and you work and work, only to hand it off to somebody else who may squander it and waste it, and all of your work is for nothing. But Solomon figured out that the only true satisfaction would come in pleasing the one true living God. If there are so many who foolishly think that they can find satisfaction in something other than God. Many of you have seen the bumper sticker probably over and over again. Simply says, when all else fails, try God. The only thing I will tell you is, why wait until all else has failed? If you know already that nothing else is going to work, nothing else will bring you the satisfaction that you're looking for, then why not simply turn to Him now? Truth was a Christian music group that was popular when I was in college. One of my favorite songs that they did said this. What if we've fallen into the bottom of a well, thinking we've risen to the top of a mountain? What if we're knocking at the gates of hell, thinking we are heaven-bound? And what if we spend our lives thinking of ourselves when we should have been thinking of each other? What if we reach up and touch the ground to find we are living life upside down? Far too many people, not only out there, but in here, 
have been living life upside down. Foolishly thinking that if we can only achieve this and this and this, then I'll be satisfied. Then I will reach the goals of my life. Only to realize that we are living life upside down. And the things we are striving for will not bring wholeness, but brokenness. We look at the people outside the church, but I believe that maybe this cold seat along this continuum, this cold seat would identify many who would even be in the church. We're striving so much for certain things and hoping that that will satisfy our needs, but it simply will not. So what does this mean for us? First, to those who are in the cold seat, understand that you are living life upside down. I don't know if you're there because of your own foolishness or if it's because you've been hurt, broken by someone else. Maybe you've developed a sense of bitterness. But I do know that there is a way out. You no longer have to live life upside down. The story of the prodigal son goes on to tell us that this young man's life falls apart. Unfortunately, he waits until he has squandered everything that he has, but we're told in verse 17 of that passage, when he came to his senses. You're talking about a guy who he understood brokenness. He ended up taking a job feeding pigs. There's a guy who's been spoiled probably all his life. His father gave him great wealth. There's a chance this young man has been given almost everything he ever wanted. Now he finds himself feeding pigs. Here he is, he's so hungry. And all he's got is the food for the pigs. He's so hungry, he begins to even eat the food that was intended for the pigs. That's a broken man. Do you have to experience that kind of brokenness before you will come to your senses? Or is it possible that God might speak to you and maybe you can come to your senses even now? He came to his senses. That was when he realized that he'd be better off coming to his father and pleading for grace. And that's exactly what we need as well. No matter the road that you've taken, our Heavenly Father has His arms open wide and He is awaiting you. He wants you to come running to Him and He will come and embrace you as well. To those who are not in that cold chair, I urge you to love those who are in that chair. Begin with prayer for them. I will guarantee you that that father in the story Jesus told of the prodigal son, that father prayed for his son. Do you know how I know that? Because that's what fathers do, especially when you're worried about them. Especially when you know they're making choices that they shouldn't be making. A father prays for his children. Because he loves his child. I want to challenge you to pray for those who are in that, in that seat. I challenge you to do more than just pray for them, but I also challenge you to love them. Realize that there are so many things under the surface that we know nothing about. 
pain, a hardship. For some, there's pain. Some, there's regret, sorrow, or feeling of being trapped with no escape. Like I'm in this situation and I want to get out, but I just can't. I don't know a way. But know this God will always provide a way out, but there's that feeling of trapped. For others, there's disappointment and there's isolation. Pray for them. But be there to love them. I think for too long, we thought that if we embrace these individuals, that we are somehow condoning their life choices. If this individual is still in their sin and we begin to offer them our love and our grace, then is that like us saying that, well, it's okay that you're living that lifestyle and you're making those choices? Absolutely not. As that father embraced his son, he wasn't saying, son, it's okay. You can do all the immoral things you want. I'll always love you and you just keep living that lifestyle. I'm okay with that. That's not what the father was saying. What he was saying is, son, regardless of the choices that you make, I am going to love you. We need to be a church that offers that kind of love and grace to the people around us. I know they're going to make bad choices. They're going to sin. And it is never okay that they choose the life of sin. But we must be God's agent of grace. We must be the one to love them into the kingdom. I'm going to ask everyone here, if you would, to simply stand with me and bow your heads. I ask you, first of all, are you in the cold chair? If, if so, it is time for you to get up and to move from that cold chair into that hot chair. Don't even stop at the lukewarm chair. It's time to come to your senses and seek the Father's grace. He will give you a fresh start. And it is what He longs for the most. Maybe today you're not in the cold chair, but rather you have pictured someone else in that cold chair. Maybe today you need to pray for that individual. Maybe it's a family member or a spouse or your best friend. I'm going to open up the altar this morning. Whether you're in the cold chair and you need to move over, or you're in the hot chair and you want to specifically release that individual to God, I want to invite you to come. Margie's going to play for just a few moments. And whether you're in that cold chair or you're in the hot chair praying for someone else who's in that cold chair, the altar is open this morning. We'll have a time of prayer that will follow this morning.
grace, that forgiveness. But I pray right now that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, whoever has come to the altar this morning for the need of forgiveness, to move from the cold chair to the hot chair, Lord, I pray right now that you would forgive their sins. You tell us in your word that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which means that the wages of sin is no longer death for us because sin is no longer what will determine our eternity, but your grace will. And now it is the gift of God that is eternal life that we look forward to. But I pray right now as we confess before you our needs, that you would forgive our sins and that you would set us free and that you would give us a life filled with victory with the promise of eternal life. But I pray that you would help us not to walk as those who somehow have been shamefully released from our sin and our punishment, but to walk as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to walk in the joy of your salvation. But I also realize today that some have come not to move themselves out of the cold chair and into the hot one, but rather these are individuals who have come specifically with family members, friends, loved ones on their hearts. And today, Lord, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit in those situations to begin to penetrate the hearts of those who desperately need your grace. I pray that you would open up doors, maybe for us, so that we might be the ones to be able to introduce them to your goodness and your forgiveness. If it be not us, Lord, it's okay. So long as you would minister to their hearts, or that they would come into a right relationship with you. But we look forward to the day that we will embrace you, that we will sit on your throne together with you in your kingdom. We look forward to the day that we will no longer have to deal with the suffering and the hardship and the brokenness of our world and the selfishness that is so present. Lord, we want so many others to join us on that journey. But I pray today for family members. But I pray that you will minister to them. Heal the brokenness. Bring them peace. Not only through your son, Jesus Christ. But I pray that you will be
We're going to do something that we don't always do this morning, but we are going to participate in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And as we do so, I've asked several of the ministers who will help us with that today. But as we do this today, I want to simply encourage you that this is far more than just some ritual that we do once a month. This is an act of worship. It is a time for us to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus Christ allowed his body to be broken for us and his blood to be shed so that our sins could be forgiven. He is the only reason salvation is possible. So today what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate what he did. Jesus Christ gave his body for you. Hugh, if nobody else was here, he would have done it for you because he loves you that much. Mike, if you were the only person in this room today, Jesus Christ still would allow his body to be broken and his blood to be shed. It's not because you're better than the other people that have been here, but it's simply because he is a gracious and loving God. Today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want to challenge you to consider what it means to you. How different are you today because of what he did? We've looked at the brokenness of our world, the emptiness and the lack of satisfaction that the, the sin can bring, the selfishness can bring. How different are you? You remember what it was like when you were living in sin? To know that God would reach into your sinful world and bring redemption is amazing. I ask if you would to simply bow your heads as the ministers come forward. And I want us to pray. Father, I pray right now that you would help us to realize today exactly how good you have been to us. Thank you for the salvation that has come to us. We know that it is only possible because of your grace, because of your body being broken and your blood being shed. And today as we come, Lord, allow us to truly celebrate your sacrifice. When it seems so foreign to celebrate something so serious and heartbreaking, Lord, it is your sacrifice that gives us the hope of eternal life. And today we celebrate that. Lord, may you be honored today. Help us to use this as an opportunity to reflect on how good you've been to us. I pray that as we take these normal, ordinary elements, bread and grape juice, Lord, that in our hearts we would see them as so much more. As the body that is broken Help us, not just in this moment, but every moment of our lives, to live in celebration of what that body of blood did for us. Lord, if there be anything impure within us, I pray that you would remove it. And I pray now as we prepare to take these elements, that maybe this would be a time for us.